This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, December 18th. I'm Anastasia Glova. The ongoing case, Massachusetts v. EPA, still pending before the Supreme Court, was filed by 12 states and several cities of the United States who wanted to force the EPA to regulate carbon dioxide as a pollutant. The central question here is whether the EPA even has the authority to regulate carbon dioxide and other air pollutants associated with climate change. Senior fellow Pat Michaels will discuss the oral arguments heard on November 29th. Let's recap what's at stake in Massachusetts v. EPA. Mass v. EPA was brought to the court with the claim from the Attorney General of Massachusetts and other attorneys generals from other states that existing law required the Environmental Protection Agency to limit carbon dioxide in the atmosphere of the main global warming gas, claiming that it was a pollutant and would cause net harm. What are the real risks of greenhouse gases to coastlines, then? Well, in the oral arguments in Mass v. EPA, this Commonwealth of Massachusetts claimed that it would lose a lot of shoreline because of, of warming, and the regulation that was brought before them was called into question by Justice Scalia when he said, well, how much coastline would the regulation that was being proposed save? And the answer was, the real answer is that it wouldn't save any. It would be totally unmeasurable. That has come to the attention of the court, given some of the amicus curiae briefs that were submitted. Would some reduction of greenhouse gas have at least a measurable impact on sea level rise? Well, if every nation of the world did what they said they were going to do under the Kyoto Protocol on global warming, the amount of warming that would be saved is seven hundredths of a degree Celsius per 50 years. Translated into sea level rise, that is an infinitesimal amount so small that it could never, ever be measured. The regulation brought before the Supreme Court in Mass v. EPA actually reduces emissions much less than the Kyoto Protocol and also only applies to the United States. But even if it applied worldwide to the same nations that have to reduce emissions under Kyoto, the amount of sea level rise that would be saved is less than something that you can't measure to begin with, which means nothing. Reading through the oral statements, it looks like the justices in the arguments demonstrated a lack of familiarity with the relevant science. For example, Justice Scalia confused the stratosphere with the troposphere and responded to a correction by saying, troposphere, whatever. I told you before I'm not a scientist. That's why I don't want to have to deal with global warming, to tell you the truth. Isn't it problematic that he should be charged with deciding this case without truly understanding it? Well, Justice Scalia's remarks, I think, unfortunately, were characteristic of most of the justices. There is not very much scientific sophistication on the court. I think what Scalia was telling us there was that he didn't want to take the case to begin with. And reading between the lines, I would suspect that that means that there is substantial sentiment on the court to not side with Massachusetts and to side with EPA, saying that EPA has to get regulations from the Congress not from the courts. What will be the impact if the case is decided in favor of the EPA? If the case is decided in favor of the EPA, the impact could vary from negligible to enormous because once the court forces the definition that carbon dioxide is a pollutant, then there will be subsidiary lawsuit after subsidiary lawsuit claiming that CO2 must be reduced in the atmosphere to the point that it is not a pollutant. Where that point is going to be, I do not know. But someone would conceivably make the argument that any warming that is caused by CO2 is a sign of pollution, and that would result in drastic cuts in carbon dioxide and major changes in the way we live our lives and run our economy. 
Didn't Justice Scalia in one of the oral arguments specifically refer to carbon dioxide as a pollutant? Now, Justice Scalia did refer to carbon dioxide as a pollutant, interestingly enough, but not in the sense that it causes global warming, but in the sense that if you filled a room full of carbon dioxide, obviously everybody would die because there would be no oxygen to breathe. But he differentiates in his oral argument between that definition of a pollutant and one that changes the temperature and ultimately has effects on people. Judging from what you've seen in the oral arguments, how do you think that the court is going to decide this case? Well, in the oral arguments, they cited two briefs that were submitted on the science of global warming. One was by a a group of people who argue that it should be regulated, and the other one was largely authored by me and several others arguing the opposite. Those briefs were cited in parallel in oral arguments, which leads me to believe, given the expressed scientific knowledge or lack thereof by the court, that it will throw up its hands and say, we're not going to do this on the basis of science. Instead, we're going to do this on the basis of who has the legal standing in this case, which would very likely bring it back to come down on the side of EPA. And in fact, there is another amicus brief before the court done here at the Cato Institute in which the argument is not based on science, but based upon the standing. So the science may be mooted by the two competing briefs, and that will send the case back to the argument for standing. If you enjoyed this program, consider subscribing to Cato Audio, a dynamic 60-minute monthly recording that brings you inside the Cato Institute for highlights from exceptional one-of-a-kind lectures and events on key issues of the day presented by nationally known scholars, authors, and political leaders. Cato Audio is available on our website as well as on iTunes and audible.com.